Hey, I'm Adrian Isferia. Hi, I'm Angela aus Deutschland. And, and we, we are, are Black, Black Women, Women in Europe. In Europe. <laughs> you can subscribe to our podcast on most major platforms like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, Amazon Music, and Audible, and many more. And be sure to check out our link tree in the show notes so that you can follow us on all social media platforms and check out our blog. If you'd like to be a guest on our podcast or know someone who'd be a great guest, please contact us at podcast at blackwomeninyourup.com. And we are so excited that you're here today. And here is our next guest. Excited that, okay, we figured it out. My math is correct. Guest number six. Yes. Six. Guest number six. Guest number six, Savannah Hazelton. <laughs> oh my God, we Hi. just listened to her. Hello. <laughs> we just listened to her fantastic um, piece um, titled Good Grief. Um, she wrote the music. She sang the vocals. She performed the vocals. She wrote the lyrics. She co-arranged it. She is like a renaissance, fantastic, talented woman. <laughs> and this is the first time I've actually heard her voice. She blew me away for other reasons, but welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Yay. Now we met um, the first time um, a, a woman's organization that, and you weren't even a member of it, but that I'm a member of, had you up on the thing. And I looked and I was like, okay, this organization hardly got any black women. We, you know, we've had a problem with them for that. They're working on it. And then I see you and you're doing stuff talking about, what were you doing? Um, I was doing a Be a Better Ally workshop online. That was one of my first online uh, attempts. Yeah. And I was like, woo, whoever brought her to this organization (laughs) to do that was like point on. And it was well received. And I was so impressed. I booked you to do the same thing for the American Women's Club of Gothenburg, or was it the International Women's Club of Gothenburg? One of them, because I was involved with both, both of them. You know what? Both of them needed it. So and since I was involved with both, I invited them both and you did it. And I know there was interest. So you're supposed to go on and do further. But talk about that. What is that? You know what? Before we even go to that, where are you? <laughs> I'm in Berlin, Germany. I'm in Berlin. Yeah. You're in Berlin. And how are you doing in Berlin right now? I'm holding in there. I'm holding in there. I mean, there's a lot going on everywhere. Um, So all things considered, I'm doing pretty good in Berlin. And how's the COVID situation there? Um, It's supposedly, I mean, according to the media, it's the worst we've ever had it. But um, again, it's all relative. I feel pretty safe here. I don't, when I go out on the street, I don't feel like there's too much rampant. Um, we're just wearing our masks and keeping our distance and hoping that the numbers go down. We're following the numbers, but in in real life, I'll say we're doing we're doing all right. So you said one of the first, like when you did your how to be a better ally, that was one of the first things that you went online. So you were preparing. Like, how did you know? Like, did you when you did that? Then did you know? Like, okay, I got to make this move to online, or and how have you shifted? And what is this workshop and who needs it? (laughs) So many beautiful questions. Um, I had come up with this workshop for uh, other programs, a lot of international students. 
um, who had spent at least three months abroad and had came back with all these experiences and all these questions and they wanted to do good, but weren't sure if they were hitting the mark. Um, so they invited me for a talk and um, yeah, they were the ones who, who I developed this workshop for to be a better ally. They wanted to be allies, but they weren't sure if they were doing such a good job. And I had done it live a couple of times and I love live. I've been teaching for almost 30 years. Um, so live lessons, they just, I love it. It's like performing, it's got its own synergy. And like everyone, we were not knowing what this online culture was going to develop into. And, you know, I was against it. I'd rather read live, but under the circumstances, we all wanted to keep each other safe. And um, yeah, I wasn't sure how the synergy was going to be online, but I was really happy. Um, who, who's the workshop for? It's for people who are curious. And because there's, the curiosity was there, um, the connections were, were possible to be made even online. So I was really thrilled about that. Now tell me that you said we know you're a vocalist. You tell us mm -hmm. your, your background. I know one thing when I discovered you that we have in common is that both of our parents are musicians. Oh, nice. Parents, yeah, I, never I don't think I ever told you, but my parents met in um, undergraduate school as music majors. Wow. And my can I ask where? At Howard University, oh, nice. my dad was a World War II veteran, so he was four years older than my mom, and he had had, a, um, he was trombone, he had had a band, and she was um, pianist and organist, but vocalist in the choir, and he played in the band. It was that simplistic back then in the 50s, um, and I know your story, both of your parents are musicians. What instruments, and how did that affect your life? Because I grew up with music. Okay. <laughs> Um, both my parents are in jazz, improvised jazz, not free jazz. There's a, you know, there's always differences, nuances in there. Um, my mom was a vocalist, um, which was pretty intense because there weren't a whole lot of women in in the crowd in the scene back in the '60s. But she was one of the gals swinging with it. And my dad is a multi instrumentalist and composer. So I was born on tour. <laughs> I was born on tour. Literally. Uh, literally, yeah. Yeah, Wait, my mom was what's... on stage pregnant with me, and then she took a few weeks off right before and right after. Uh, I was born in Göttingen, in Niedersachsen, in Germany. I was born here. Um, and then I guess I was a couple of weeks old. Whenever my mom said she's ready, they just kept going right on tour. It was the Jubilation album tour. Um, so I grew up with my brother in the back of my dad's Citroën. That's what we where we toured. And... Europe still had its borders up. So those are my early memories was traveling Europe and experiencing incredible hospitality, um, which which just hasn't been matched since then. It was a really unique experience growing up in this microcosm of jazz. And I, I feel like we invented couch surfing back then. You know, you sound it, bohemian before it was even bohemian. But <laughs> Do you have American roots? Do I don't do you, or you're, okay, tell us about that as well. Well, my mom, she was from the Bronx. Um, so uh, I guess after the tour was over, uh, my mom wanted us to grow up in the US. She wanted us to have contact with her side of the family, the relatives that we got had there. And boy, oh boy, am I glad we did. Because um, I think if I had only grown up in Europe, I would have been missing a large part of myself. It was really essential to go back to to America and be in contact with other Black Americans, and uh, yeah, that just was was that like your dad was like of course, or was that was that like a problem? 
Um, that's hard, you know. It is hard, and it's hard to speak for him. Uh, he's German, and I think in his generation, the idea was, oh, if you go to America, that's where you stay. That's the new country. You leave the old country behind. And I think in his generation, it was my mother's decision how to raise the kids. So, <laughs> which is cool. No, but that's cool because that's why I wonder. There's a lot of things going on. There are a lot of dynamics. Yeah. yeah. Um, because he could have blocked it, but he didn't. And um, you're grateful that you had that experience. Big time, big time. Yeah, yeah. What, how long before you came back to Europe? Um, well, I when I graduated high school, it was the mid '90s, and New York was just being gentrified like nobody's business. Um, literally, my my childhood uh, apartment is the Ukrainian Bank of New York now. Wow. <laughs> so um, after that, it was a big decision whether I joined that New York rat race to just have a thousand jobs to maybe make rent. Um, and instead, after high school, I, I jumped back over to this side of the pond to my German roots because there's just a different kind of opportunity in Europe than there is in the US. You know, you're lucky you had that. You knew that you had that because how many, like you say, you saw they're like, and this is what yeah. people do, but you knew you're like, there's another side to this. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do that. And I know that when I moved to Brussels, the boyfriend I had then is a professional musician and he, um, the Belgian government, at, at least at that time, they had stipends for musicians. So he, um, yeah, you know what I mean? Like he, they knew he was a professional musician. Like he didn't have to be a waiter slash musician. Let's put it like, right. he was still a struggling musician, but still had enough to pay rent without, it wasn't like we were like, woo, you know, but it was like, you know, he didn't have to worry. He could focus on his music. Yeah. You weren't having a lavish license, but it was like, it was, and I don't know if that applied to like what you had to do, but he was good enough that he was he had some subsidy for for artists, and I appreciate that. Is that do they have that in Germany? I don't know if they have that in Sweden. Um, they do, but I I'll also hop on that bandwagon and say it was a generational thing. Um, while it still exists today, there's just so many other factors. Like I know that um, when I was growing up, we had this huge loft. It took up the entire floor for $500. And from one month to the next, it went to 5,000. So even if those <laughs> grants for a musician are still there, there's just a whole bunch of other factors where even it's, if it's a nice pay, there's other circumstances that make the struggle very, very different in this generation than, than those of my parents. Now, when did you, because I know you're an educator, mm -hmm. and that's another thing I feel like I have in common with you, because my mom is an educator, you know, music educator on, a, on every level. I just love, you know, music is just, Angelo is a big music fan and has like a huge music collection, and we, we know how important music is. So that's one reason why I like, yeah. you're like dream guest for me, but like, when did you turn to education, and, and it's beyond music ed education, because this ally stuff isn't music education and I know I talk too much and I only took your introductory course but down the line do you bring music in because music is so powerful hmm. so I'm not sure I understood the question first question <laughs> first question when did you become an educator and okay um I'll write I think, my other things down but when did you I become an educator I think I didn't have a chance from the, from the get-go. Um, my parents were musical educators. Um, my dad was uh, hired by the Ministry of Education in 1972 um, to teach improvisation to other teachers. 
And it was a clash and it didn't work out. But <laughs> my dad um, won the Bundesverdienstkreuz, which is, uh, help me out, Angela, what is that in English? Like the honorary um, citizens? The Bundesverdienstkreuz. I will look that up and see what this <laughs> really is. That was impressive, though. And that was because uh, of his work with music? With his specifically his work with improvised jazz because he oh, used amazing. improv the skill of improvisation to include ah. people. Uh huh. Do you find it's something? The Order of Merit of the Federal Republic of Germany. Wait a minute. So he's yeah, like right. a knight or something. There's, there's no knights in Germany. Thank but you, you know what I'm saying. It was like an OBE. But wait, you know what I want to say? Okay, audience people, this is African American music that the the. This happened to a German man in Germany that he received mm -hmm. an order or something for teaching improv. Let's not forget who originated this respect mm -hmm. and props to your dad for being like the best one in the country mm -hmm. to be like, mm -hmm. pick to do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You learn from the best. So this is what I was born into. So for me, there was never a chance that it was either this or that they went hand in hand. I mean, on my mother's side, I don't know if she was a singer. I don't know if you can imagine what that's like having lullabies sung to you. <laughs> and everything that I learned came with a song and I just developed a, a, a taste for braingasms and heartgasms <laughs> and this wonderful yeah, totally... feeling that happens when you learn something and music was always a part of it. So. There was never any separation. I totally get it. My mom's PhD as a musicologist, you know, music, you know, always been a part of my life. Now, does your education, your ally education, I only took the introduction. This is the second part of my long rambling question. Mm -hmm. I only took the intro and I know that like people can dive deeper and we're going to make sure um, Angela is always super good with making sure people are going to have your contact information, your link cool. to your ally work. She's going to ask you that. But um, so I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I only took like the intro. So I, I know you dive deeper, but I'm just curious if you include music somehow in part of that, because music is so powerful. And if it's a tool to help people remember or make people comfortable, because you talk about uncomfortable topics. So does music help? Um, music always helps. When doesn't music help? <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't use them specifically. Um, there's, I do a lot of freelance, freelance work in film. Um, and, and I like to combine intercultural themes and topics and strategies into art. But, um, so far up until this point, I haven't been able to integrate music um into the workshops the ally workshops that you know these types of intercultural negotiation workshops um, there's a lot of theory and there's a lot of um exercises uh practical experiences where things are just like oh i would never thought about it that way before and until now um music isn't a part of that when we have um when we do workshops for refugees then it's all about music and dance but so far the theory and the music that i guess there's a separation there a little bit what what kind of uncomfortable topics do you talk about i don't <laughs> know what an uncomfortable topic is um thank you <laughs> <laughs> um racism sexism all the isms um climate change uh, my motivation for doing these these intercultural workshops is so that my son's grandkids have just as much oxygen as we do and still know what fish and sushi tastes like 
Um, so to to talk about social equity that needs to happen and the negotiation skills and communication skills that need to happen. Yeah, that's hard. That's hard. If we talk about our own biases and prejudices and how to move forward from that, that's a potential minefield for a lot of uncomfortable feelings. You yeah. have an ally with Angela because every topic that you took you you touched on, she's a she's an activist in that area. Like starting from human rights down, everything you touched on is a human rights. Yeah, that's true. Issue. Yeah. Um, Angela, I'm gonna let you follow up, but I just want to let you guys know that like y'all connected if you didn't know before. <laughs> yeah. But I know yeah. Angela's got a follow up. Well, you you hope that I do. You know what? Actually, you know I do. Well, I know that, but you know what? I was. I just want to go back a little bit. You said you you came back to Germany. Um, Did your parents stay there, or stay in the states, or are they here somewhere? Uh, Oh, you're you're getting into the nitty and the gritty, huh? All these uh, complex questions. Oh boy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. My my parents are. freelance musicians. So my dad was always traveling back and forth. And my mom at that point um, was starting to teach at different conservatories in Europe. So she was already in Europe. She was in The Hague when I decided to move to Germany. That's the simplest Yes, answer, and that's okay. the best answer. Don't, I don't no, that place is on our list. Isn't the Hague where that, that woman has a salon that we want to go to? Yes, it is. There's, there's <laughs> a sister that specializes in melanated skin treatments. So we'll bring oh you along. You can meet us. And cool. We can, yeah, we'll, we'll go back to the Hague together. Yeah. No, um, it sounds like, sounds like you have a very interesting life and that you get to meet a lot of people. That I do. All types. Well, you know, I want to know how did you, or, um, and I'm sure my nose is always shiny on the biggest forehead, but I know this is in your brochure, but how, why would, like, I had no problem booking you for, like I said, American Women's Club and International Women's Club Gothenburg, but somebody else who may be like, well, she's a vocalist, she's a composer, she's a lyricist, you know, she's a musical arranger. Why would I get her to talk to me about, you know, these complex questions that I fear? Like, why are you the person to come to and make, break it down for people and make them feel safe? Because you do create this wonderful environment where people can open up. (laughs) In a nutshell, I've got a lot of experience in this regard. Um, I think the first time I was ever thrown out of a store um, because I was allegedly a Nazi, I was four years old. What? So, <laughs> so I've been, I've had the craziest experiences and trying to understand why. Okay, these... Angela said what? You have to go back and say as much as you can remember, Devon, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no worries. It's a crazy story. Um, I think I was about four years old and we, my father raised us macrobiotically. That's a whole nother story. But we, in New York, they had everything and we were at a macrobiotic uh, bakery. And I was in heaven as a kid who wasn't allowed to grow up with sugar. I saw blueberry cheesecake and sugarless chocolate cake. And my dad was telling me I could choose one. And I just got really excited. And we had just moved from Germany. And I said, Fati, Fati, cook my. Yeah, a little bit of German came out of my mouth. And that triggered the Jewish store owner. And he was very triggered. And he heard the German language and Lord only knows what went through his system, but he ended up throwing us out and calling us Nazis. And uh, 
that was perplexing uh, wow. because I didn't even know what a Nazi was. And by the time I, I understood it, it made even less sense. <laughs> so that was um, a, a, an experience that made me dig a little deeper and say what was happening here. Um, obviously, the, the, the baker was uh, traumatized from, from his experiences and to ask how trauma can translate into those types of projections and how we deal with prejudice and is prejudice okay? How much prejudice can we tolerate until it becomes stigma? All of these nuances are things that I've had to deal with, um, not just in friends and family and, and so on. And I've understood that most of us want the same things. We wanna have good meals, good music with our friends and family and to understand the hurdles that that accompany with that that I, i've made my experiences there and i'm not going to demonize anybody who is curious or confused no, I, love and I think IQ. that's what makes me a good good candidate to teach absolutely your, your iq is off the chart like you can understand <laughs> like okay not as a four-year-old like but later like okay this guy later. was obviously traumatized for him to react this way yeah and then you learn the history can you relate your earliest experience like of racism in germany if Can you've I? experienced it, you may not oh, have. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Uh, one of the first German words I, I learned uh, when, as a child was Mischling. What does that mean? Oh, God. Um, right? So my mom made a decision to move to the States where I what wouldn't have mean? to hear that. In it's a, a nice way. It's a They're... derogatory term for somebody who's of mixed heritage. So it's like and, mulatto? But it's more like what you would call a dog, you know, mm -hmm. if it was a mixed breed. Right, mutt. like we like a mutt, but you're yeah, but but not even as nice as mutt. I get what you mean. It's nice. <laughs> I get yeah. it. Okay. I, yeah. It probably stems from the eudrenic um, categorization that I wasn't pure blood; I was mixed blood, kind of yeah. thing. How mm. old was that? Do you think you were uh, about two the first time uh. I was able to? You know, I mean, this is the discussion we're having these days. How young is too young to talk to our kids about this? That's what I'm saying, too. Mm. It's like, that's not the memories you want your two-year-old to have. They have memories from two-year-old, you know. <laughs> Bless. Yeah, you're, you're, so you're literally born into this conversation. And I was, yeah, yeah. And it was really shocking how important uh, my skin color was for other people. I had to understand where I stand to myself when other people had such strong feelings about it. So that that's, that's really what inspired me to study those things and get a master's in it. Wow. Um, <laughs> why, why do you think that, why do you think that the people are so uncomfortable by these topics about talking about them because they are talking about them, but just not, they're not doing it directly. You know, mm -hmm. if, if somebody calls you a Michling or, you know, something else, um, they are involved in racism and mm -hmm. race, mm -hmm. you know? So, so what why, was the question? Why, why is it so, why do you think it's so hard for people to speak about these topics? Hmm. Ooh, to find a general answer is really tricky. Um, I can only say it depends where they're at in life might explain where their fear comes from. Um, hmm. A lot of us feel really good when we can, when we know the right answer. Ah, I knew you were from New York, or I knew you were from Brazil. <laughs> People feel really good when they can confirm what they think they know. And when they're confronted with things that challenge them, that's scary. They're, they might look That's like so a fool. interesting you say that, Savannah, mm -hmm. because 
people will ask me five times in a row where I'm from, like they're not satisfied with the answer. You know, like, where are you from? Washington, D.C. No, no, U.S. Okay, but where are you from? Washington, D.C. Okay, where are your parents from? Well, my mom's, you know, from Illinois. My dad's from, from North. But wait, I'm like, okay, look, I can tell you my dad's side. We got the family Bible from 18 to, you know, and they're like, <laughs> yeah. and then they're like, and you're like, well, what, you know, they're like traumatized. And you're like, yeah. aren't I traumatized after like the mm-hmm. third time you ask me where I'm from? And then on the end of that, they're like, oh, because you're skinny. And I didn't, you know, black women from America are fat. That's and, the point. That's mm-hmm. like the period at the end of that conversation. And you're at a cocktail party and you're like, <laughs> I just met you. I'm <laughs> and you know, and then you know yeah. when you're the only one, it's like not like a crowd, but you know how right. other people are like listening. Right. And at least in Sweden, people do stare. Mm-hmm. But in a situation like that, they won't and they'll stare with their ears. So you'll look mm-hmm. like every other every other group is like frozen listening. <laughs> but they're too frightened to look. Because they don't want to see you uncomfortable and then maybe have to react. And we, so we, we hold on so much to what's right and what's wrong. It's almost like a bit of an addiction. See, I was right. I was right. You know, as opposed to saying, who are you? And I'll let you unfold who you are, as yes. opposed to me projecting what I think is right so I can feel good about myself. So it has a lot to do with our education, that we are terrified of making mistakes. Yeah, if I'm okay with my mistakes, then I'm not going to hound you until I'm right. So these, we've got a lot of these dynamics, where it comes from, how we can Savannah, address have it. You, have you found that fear of making mistakes is universal? No, because I know one it's thing conditioned. It's conditioned. Mm-hmm. Because one thing, I, it, and only, it, it, in a different context, I know like at least in Sweden, Amer- they like to do business with Americans because we're not afraid to fail. Like we like fail, pick up, like we know failures on the road to success. Yeah. So like when you say fear of making a mistake, that's like, in a, but in a personal situation, we don't want to make a mistake. Is that the yeah. universality of it, you think? Well, or? we are social creatures. Um, we're the only uh, animals that we know of, at least according to science, that blush because of embarrassment. Mm. Right? We usually get credit for our thumbs, but our ability to imagine things and our ability to blush, those are other human traits. So on one hand, stepping out of line and being embarrassed is very, that's a universal general thing for human beings. None of us really want to be the odd person out. Um, but in terms of how we deal with our mistakes, it's very cultural. Yeah, that's... Now, where did you get your master's in? In Berlin at the Freie Universität. Okay, but I'm sorry. So good. So in your, but what subject was it? Um... I got a master's in, in, in uh, history didactics, specializing in intercultural negotiation. Okay, because you totally blew me with the intercultural stuff. So what's didactics thingy? Right. Uh, that's a question I get uh, asked a lot. I, I studied in the same house as historians. And historians focus on the truth and authenticity and the verification of a specific um, source. Didacticians, we take a learning approach. We say, well, why is learning about Kaiser Friedrich important today? And what tools and what skills do I have to make that point in the past relevant today? How does that give me orientation? Those are the questions we ask as a didactician. And uh, my favorite thing is um, awareness skills. They literally coined the term skill in terms of how to dissect 
abstract things like time awareness skill, this, the ability to separate the present, the past and the future. Super simple, but we don't think about that in all day, uh, in everyday life. And if we do, then we know, oh, okay, I have more tools to be in the present moment than I did without this awareness skill. So lots of little things like that. I love history. Didactics. That's how you, so you, are you a super mindful person? I'm going to say yes on that. All humility aside, yes. I, I, I am an overthinker, if anything. You know, <laughs> it's funny too much. Because my husband's like, you overthink things. And I'm like, I don't understand what that even means. Like, oh, person. And then you have to think about it to, <laughs> so that you get it. Yeah, yeah. okay. You're and overthinking. At some point, at some point you have to just stop put some music on and dance it out that's that's an important balance now can we talk a little bit more about your music sure no because i know good grief is a ballad you know we're gonna we're gonna end on um with with a piece called trans trans i'm gonna say it wrong so i'm not gonna say it because now i can't read my handwriting but <laughs> I know how it made me feel. I, I, I feel like I, there was birds in the end. I don't know if that was you and your vocals. It felt timeless. It made me feel weightless. It felt like a classic, like this could be like the twenties. You know, it was just like, wow. Like you mm -hmm. took like, it was a, like, like it could be used in any type of, you know, like the Brits make the best period films like, and you hear a piece of music, you're like, like, you know, like this could have been like, okay, this could have been on a jet from anywhere. Like, is this, Aww. like, if this is 1990, is this person trying to sound like the original person from the twenties or whatever? <laughs> anyway, it blew me away. But like, so you do ballads, you do jazz, like what other kind of music do you do? And do, um, that sounds stupid, do you do? But what comes out of you? What do you create? Um, that's a great question. I'm still very much at the beginning of my own musicality. You know, I think it's a symptom of having such big jazz parents that uh, I think I dealt with academics a lot more because there was more space. And uh, these were just the songs that I was able to record um, during the lockdown. But I, I, you know, the only instrument that comes from jazz is the drum set. So I have been completely spoiled by being around some of the best jazz drummers in my childhood. So anything with a good rhythm, whether it's rock, whether it's blues, whether it's Afrobeat. So the saxophonist you hear, he even got me onto elect electro music, at least analog. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, no. Oh my God. Can we commission you to do a theme song for us? Angela, we need a theme song. <laughs> oh yeah, that would be really great. Seriously, yeah. I don't know if we can afford you, but now that you said you're new, you're just starting out. We afford you now. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you like season been out. Like I got this album and this. I'm like I'm waiting to hear. No, but seriously, we need a theme song. It only has to be like how long? Is it like thirty seconds or whatever? Well, I don't know. Let's leave it to the artist as to how long it is. We're asking, oh, we're there. <laughs> Think about it real quick. Oh, wow. But, you guys are challenging me. <laughs> yeah, no, it would be wonderful. You you get us. You, this would be great. Come on. Okay. We'll and talk no about pressure. it. No pressure. It's not like we need it tomorrow. But, yeah, there's, you know. There's, theme no, song. We don't need it tomorrow. We just need it in January. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say put it on your to-do list. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. <laughs> okay. Oh, I <laughs> that's good so that's good that's good that's good so because because you say you're not, you're not like limited to whatever because 
even though you grew up with these strong jazz influences, it's like, that's not, because you're driven by the beat. And you know what is so funny? That guy I talked about in Belgium, he was a percussionist. And when, you know, like my dad, like when I went home, he was like, oh, they're the most important person in the band. My dad said that. He was like, they keep it all going. Or so I can't remember literally keep what he said. Time. Absolutely. Yeah. But he yeah. was like, oh, they're the most important person. So he was like, okay. And I was like, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, we, we had thought about maybe looking at in, in um, addition with your ally work, mm-hmm. Angela had researched something she introduced me to last year because Angela is the founding um, chair of the Global Black Caucus for the Democrats for Democrats Abroad, which is the largest volunteer organization um, of Americans overseas um, involved in politics, I guess I could say. There's, there's a lot of like superlatives there, right? So I want to make sure I get them right. And one of the things that she did was, I don't know if it was Black History, it doesn't matter because like- It was, yeah, it was during Black, Black History, History Month. But okay. Please explain. Well, there's, there's um, this doctor, Dr. Eddie Moore Jr. Um, he created this 21-day- racial equity challenge and it's up on his website and you can just you can alter it like I altered it a little bit for and they have different examples and basically every day you have to read watch or listen to something that challenges your your biases and they there's a list of things you can look at read articles things like that it's very I think it's if people take it seriously it can be very effective uh, basically because they say it takes 21 days to start a new habit. So that's why the challenge is 21 days. But Angela, did you do it? Me? Yeah, I did it. Of course. (laughs) Of course I did. Okay. Okay. So after the 21 days, did you develop a new habit? Like what was your goal? Well, my goal was to do it so that all the other people that were doing it, I could, you know, have read all the things, but to a certain degree, I don't want to say I didn't need it because that's not entirely true. I mean, every person has some, some bias about something, but I just, okay, this is just my opinion. I'm a little further along on getting rid of my biases and how I relate to people and how I view the world. So some of it was a little bit basic, but a lot of people are still at step one, you know? But as a facilitator, do you, would you think so it was a good body of work? Like you said, to yes. the, like the beginner or was something for like every stage somebody could be on? Cause Savannah looked at it and pulled something that you thought, why did you pull what you pulled? Um, I loved it just because it was short and concise and very to the point. Um, you watch the video about these two teams playing basketball and I love pieces of art that mess with you. That was like, oh, <laughs> I got to learn a little something about my own ability to perceive things. And I, I love experiences like that. So I, I chose that video. So it's a video. Okay. So if you were a facilitator, well, you are a facilitator. I'm sorry. Could you see a place for a video like that in your work? Like, do you use videos when you do workshops? Because you work on so many different levels. Sometimes, sometimes. I mean, my ally workshops, they are 
full. They've got three different levels of how to approach things. Um, so they're very dense and I'm usually in a rush to get all three levels in in the time that we have. But in other circumstances, like, you know, we're women of color, we have a different approach and a different experience to this. So I know that when I was reading uh, Grata Quilumba, uh, Plantation Memories, anybody? That's a huge one I recommend that changed. I think that was one of the first books that mm -hmm. made racism available in academia. Can I say that? Uh, <laughs> say it again, say it again. Yeah. She was so great. Um, so that, you know, I learned about perfectionism, right? Um, especially seeing other um, people of mi with mixed heritage in Germany and Berlin, I felt there was a lot of tension from the other young black women, um, more so than, than the other white folk. And I was wondering what that was. And I learned about perfectionism. And so, of course, perfectionism, bad, right? Um, but things like these challenges, they helped me not back myself into a corner of saying, I don't want to do this, this is evil, this is bad, but um, I was allergic to perfection perfectionism. And I was watching one of my German friends who's very integrated, how easy he had a time negotiating German culture. And his key word was, oh, thank you very much. Perfect. That was perfect. And so I had to get over my own shadow of being anti-perfectionism into using that word um, to help make my daily life easier. So now, Angela, said, are you nodding? Cause you, you can relate to, is that, are they still saying that like perfect? Is that's like, Oh, well, I don't know. I, I always, I don't think of myself as a perfectionist, but I know that some of the things that I do are the traces of being a perfectionist and it, yeah, it screws up everything, honestly, because sometimes really it's, it's okay if something is just okay. You know, <laughs> everything does not have to be perfect. You know what? I'm a perfectionist. So say it again, wind it back. So Savannah, you're saying that's tied. Is that a black woman thing tied to perfectionism? It's a mixed race thing it's a woman say it again because we all got had that perfectionist mm -hmm. thing well this was something that was specific to my first experiences back in germany um was this right if you're a foreigner you have to speak perfectly and act perfectly and this perfection is really oppressive at some point especially when it's internalized so for me to to look at, at things like eddie eddie moore jr's list it's an opportunity for me to um, look at the ideas that I've crystallized for myself as right and wrong and to look beyond and say, where could I create more nuances? Um, the Mac, there was a Macklemore video. Um, I'd never really paid attention to his work, really. I knew he was a big star. And of course, this whole discussion about appropriation, he just wasn't on my top 10 list. So to see him on this list um, and hear him sing about white privilege, that helped open up something in me that I had made small and closed. So um, I'm, I haven't done the 21 day challenge yet, but it's a different approach than somebody who's just learning about this to make sure that I haven't confined myself or restrained myself in a way that doesn't do me good, you know? Mm. So that's, that's the opportunity I'm gonna take for this 21 day challenge. Okay. See where well, I can is, have more space. That is, um a really good idea. Um, I recommend that everyone take a look. In fact, we'll leave, we'll put a link to it in the show notes because everyone could always use some kind of help. Um, I know 
Yeah, especially in Germany. Oh my God, every people are so perfect and everything has to be just so. And um, I'm not perfect. And, <laughs> I, and I stopped trying to be perfect. Um, the rest of the world didn't stop, but I stopped. <laughs> I stopped about five, five or 10 years ago. But the rest of the world is like, well, look, there's something out of place here. And I'm like, yeah, okay, fix it. And let's move on, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> actually um you've been doing all this stuff during the pandemic too how's that changed i mean the the difference you know between doing these things in person and doing them online um yeah the change is huge um first of all especially because the voice and vocals you know there it's it's a larger hazard than than other careers um, so that inspired me to really explore what, in, what online options I have. Um, so I don't get to do all the exercises. Like there's one game where we learn about, um, protecting each other and allyship. And it's like a big game of tag and you can't do that online. Mm, um, yeah. so it's, it's challenged me to be a bit more creative. How do I get the same experience across without the same physical contact? Um, it's made me have to be more creative. Yeah, as, I yeah. completely understand that. <laughs> person who spent a lot of time online over these past two years. Yeah, um, yeah you do have to be a lot more creative. Uh, Adrian, you? Uh... No, just mom. Just calling when you get a call from home and I'm like, Hi, mom. Hi, I mom. know. <laughs> Just call me back, sweetie. I'm like, okay. So no, that was just that because I have a special ringtone for mom. So I'm always like, is everything oh okay? You yeah, know, I was like, okay, I'm recording. Is everything okay? You know, that type of thing. So, is she yeah. is she in DC? She is. Sweet. She is. You're she such is. a good concerned daughter. You um, if my mother's listening to this, which I'm sure sooner or later she will. I was gonna say um, since she's not, I, no. she's not live, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hi, and I do love you, even though I'm not as good as an, an intent attentive daughter as Adrian. So <laughs> you are. You're like the super daughter. I'm when I compare myself to you, I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind yeah, you're super daughter, and I'm like I don't even know what I would be. <laughs> I was gonna say bad girl, but bad girl is cooler than super daughter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're the one into like, no, you're some trekking. And I was trying, like, when you're doing like in five, four, I'm like trying to like make you laugh. Yeah, I you. can't do that. I can't do that. She, you, wait a minute. You're not a trekking if you can't. I can't. Do that. No, I don't have. Yeah. Okay. Everyone's fingers are mobile and your joints are open, but mine are not. I can't do it because of the construction of my head. I'm just laughing because you yeah. made some posts the other day. Like I am, and I've always been a trekking. I'm like, you're telling me you can't. That's the only reason I'm messing with her, Savannah. I would no. I, hey, Otherwise. I just can't do it. You know what? Um, I met you. Yeah, yeah, you no, you can't. It would be it's really. I just don't. I have. I somebody would have to take my cut my tendon in my hand and. We're like, not going to do that. But the only way I can like, do chopsticks is like you know the ones they get for kids with the rubber bands on it. So that's what I'm thinking. We just rubber band you. Put you down. Take a picture. That's weird. I can use chopsticks, but that's. <laughs> I can never find a competent left hander to teach me. Everybody's like, you know, and they're dating. Oh yeah, yeah, like you know, people are always like, 
so impressed to teach you. I'm like, just give me the fork or the rubber banded <laughs> ones and let's get going. Because I love Chinese food. And oh my God. Mm, but you know, the people that can do that, that's that is I can't juggle either. Those are two things I would like to be able to do, juggle and use chopsticks. You so Mana, what are two things you would like to be able to do that you can't do? Mm. Oh, gosh. Angela's thinking. <laughs> like, I know I'm next. There's so many. Um, I wish I was a better instrumentalist. There's a lot of instruments I can make some melodic noise, but I wish I could play better. Um, there's that. <laughs> Which instruments can you make melodic noise on that you'd like to? Um, I can make some pretty decent noise on the guitar and a little bit on the piano, but uh, I wish I could do those things better for sure. Yeah. I can picture my three-quarter violin. I was in an all-city choir. Nice. This is back when DC's music program was like off the hook. Um, all-city choir, orchestra, and study piano. So Angela, you had enough time to think. What are two things you wish you could do that you can't do? Um, <laughs> I know. Tricky thing. Yeah. No, I actually, do I don't wish I could do that. I've it's not that trekkie. important to me. I've <laughs> always been a Trekkie, still am, can't do that, but I, I can do a lot of other Trek stuff. I don't know if they'd be like, you know, I'm not sure. They'd be like, you're something else, one of those other. No, I'm sure no, you can plan. do the, the death nope. rip, right? To get the Vulcan, death out. The Vulcan yeah. neck pinch, yeah. Oh, no, there you yeah. Go. I'm <laughs> sure I'm she could do that. that. Yeah. No, the one thing, I can only think of one thing right now that I would like to do, and I had actually planned to start it before is, is learn how to play the piano. Yeah. That is yeah. really like something that is, that I really want to do. I took lessons when I was a kid, nice. but you know, I was a kid, so it just doesn't, <laughs> it didn't take, you know, nobody like forced me to do it or something. So I just said, eh, forget it. But I really would like to learn how to play the piano and um, the sort of pandemic has kind of kept me from doing that. Well, my mother would say as a pianist, if she wouldn't give you lessons unless you have a piano or access to one that you could practice regularly because it's not a once a week, an hour before, it's daily. So that would be my tip. So get a piano well, and not I, a keyboard. Well, so I bought a, piano, a keyboard. I'm not going to buy a piano because I don't know how to play it. What would be the, well, why would I can't learn? Well, I'm just saying, I'm not saying build a swimming pool in your backyard before you learn how to swim. Be Olympic I'm, just swimmer. Telling you, I'm just telling you, if, you, if you can't practice every day, that's just what I've heard from one professional. Savannah can give you, and maybe a keyboard's enough, but at least you have, at least in your mind, something that you want to have access to. Yeah, but see, it's all these rules and whatever. Like, I just, I, I bought a keyboard and I thought, okay, I'm just going to learn, but I've just been too busy to do it. And maybe one day, maybe when I'm old and gray and I can take my arthritic hands and try but to. But then you'll be able to do the um, Trekkie thing and you'll be like, oh my God. Beaming on the keyboard, right? Because it'll all just come back. But that's one thing I, I, I look at my mom. Thank God her hands aren't crippled with arthritis and whatever nobody's memory is the same as it was five weeks or whatever. She can still get down there. She can read music and she still has her things that she can do from memory. So it's like, thank God for that grand piano. You know, you can take everything else out that house. Don't take that grand piano away from that woman. You know, that's like her, the day after my dad died, she was down there like, tear it up, clear the loom. You know, it's like, 
and we're just like, but music just, you know, can help you get through highs and lows, so many things. Like, Savannah, what would your life, this is a stupid question because you can't imagine, but, you know, what would your life be without music? Dark. Dark. Everything, everything. Um, it's one of my favorite things about being a vocal artist is I get to translate sound all the time. I can't imagine, right? I, I fail at that question. Wow. Um, let, let's, can we just go back a little bit about racism in Germany? Um, and this is a very vague question, but what do you think the biggest problem in Germany is with racism? I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's like, there's a whole lot of people in Germany that don't think they're racist. And, and for the most part, maybe they're not. So they're, it's not like the States, you know, where people are just, but, but what do you think, how do you, what do you think their, their problem, how, how racist are people in Germany? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a judge on this. Like I, I can't tell sort of. Um, I, I really can't confine it to one nation. I think okay. uh, everybody's got a problem with racism. Problem left is racism, the sexism, the ableism, the ageism, etc., um, and more to do with what we're for. Uh, in my own words, I'd say we're we aren't as far along in the coexistence. We're not working towards a common goal, and that's a problem. Because if you say, oh, you're this, and you say, no, I'm not that, then it's different than if you say, well, I'm for coexistence. And then you say, oh, well, what's keeping us from reaching these coexisting goals? Oh, maybe I haven't checked my bias. Oh, maybe there is uh, systemic um, hurdles that I'm not aware of. But the goal is clear, and why aren't we reaching the goal is a completely different approach than just saying, yeah, I'm not racist or I'm not sexist. Yeah. Mm, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. I feel like I feel like that people here, it's like in a way they want to try. I think they that that given the the right, you know, information that it would that people would try, at least not which is different from Americans, where I'm, I'm not saying that all Americans wouldn't try, but but they wouldn't want to try, you know? Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. You know, I work with that women's organization I mentioned, and I know I'm on um, a human rights committee, and I know that there's a, I don't want to say bigger than anywhere else, but I know there's a lot of focus on violence against women in Germany. Have you noticed that that's a problem? And there's like a big push for the government to do stuff. And what's been your hopefully not personal experience with that, but what have you noticed? Like how was the government trying to shift or have you, what do you notice about that? I, I'm only an outsider and they say, this is a problem in Germany. This is what we're working on. These have been these big campaigns. And I'm like, okay. My biggest experience with this, not personal, but from what I've seen is, is a horrible place to get divorced in. If you're getting divorced, do it in Germany. You don't have the same rights. Um, it's how how far behind Germany is in that regard um, to recognize what women deal with in, in, in as a spouse. Yeah, yeah, I think I don't see enough happening. 
I, I'm not convinced that our government really is concerned with violence against women when I when I look at these things. I think it was Helmut Kohl's wife who just was denied uh, residuals for her husband's work, like a total stranger was able to what? cash in residuals and she wasn't. Wow, that is, but you know what? You know, there's a, a new law in Germany. I think it comes in, in, it's either in force or now, or it's coming up where if women, if a woman retires or, or I should say, if, if you're married and your husband divorces you and you're at retirement age, you don't really get anything. Like you don't get anything from the retirement money, which is insanity, it's you know? Insane. But that's consistent with what I know in Germany. Yeah, women are left with the raw raw end of the stick. Is that a saying? Mm -hmm. uh, short end of the stick. Short, short end of the stick. Raw, short end the, yeah. <laughs> I mix up all my idioms. <laughs> no, I know. Um, and violence, is it... Um, some cultures, it's more macho than others. Is, is German culture considered macho? Or I know rape is a problem in Sweden. I think in Scandinavia and Sweden in general gets good PR, but it's not like it's rape free. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it can be a problem. And, and a lot of people say because, you know, they push so much egalitarianism in Sweden and men feel emasculated. And oh, that is really some bullshit. Like you, know, you rape feel emasculated, bullshit. so you decide to rape someone. Rape That's is bullshit because and rape is about power. You know, rape isn't about sexual desire. I've been raped two times. Third time I went out four-story building in Paris because I was not after taking a beating, and luckily this guy was like my size and I could give as good as I get. I was like, you know, but there are knives and scissors in here. Anyway, went out. So I don't take it, you know, lightly at all when I talk about rape. So any justification is pure bullshit. But I know it's completely about power. It's not about like, oh, I was, uh, it's about power for whatever reason. And so Scandinavia, you know, maybe they don't like women being equal. I don't effing know because women aren't equal here. It's a line of BS. That they're, it's a goal. Look on the scale closer than up, but ain't, we ain't found that place yet. At least, so it sounds like it's not in Germany. It's not, we just got our first woman prime minister in Sweden, by the way, mm -hmm. in a country that had to change the laws from I don't know how long ago because they don't nobody can say how old Sweden is. But, you know, in the 70s, when, you know, the king and queen got married, you know, she danced the dancing queen. When they had their first child, she was a girl. They had to change the laws to say that a, that child could be queen because she wasn't a, wasn't a boy. First born, though. What if they didn't have another one? Like, where's the secession? So that so modern Sweden had to change the laws, you know. So it's all BS and PR. I get it. So where in Europe are women safe? Black women in particular. Have we we've been traveled? Have we found a place where women are free from violence, domestic domestic violence from? Inheritance law is not going to get screwed after, you know, being married for. If you find out, let me know. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know where this place is. <laughs> Women are not safe, really. I don't want to say really anywhere, but mm -hmm. but and in that... a certain way, we're not because it's so easy to get the a different government in that puts in some regressive policies that affect women. I mean, in the United States, we have this going on right now with abortion. 
-hmm. and other things and other things. You know, a lot of women during the pandemic had to quit working because they're responsible for their children. And which is so funny that men aren't responsible for their children. <laughs> That's one thing that we saw across Europe. I mean, definitely like they like a lot of organizations like to highlight like Latin and Central America. We saw domestic violence go up across Europe when women were like locked home with their abuser, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. People yeah. couldn't work. It's a lot about the structures as well. I mean, violence against women is a problem everywhere. So if if we have a a government that says they're concerned about it, I want to see what physical structures they have in place. My experience is women who are trying to get away from abused, uh, abusive husbands, they're put in a system of exploitation. All of the lawyers, all of the betoya, all of the clerks and officials who were supposed to uh, catch um, catch somebody in a vulnerable position, they're all into exploiting. I, I can't believe the things I've seen here. So there really is no protection for women, even if the structures exist, those structures are so corrupt um, that it's it's actually quite terrifying. And I, I just wanna thank you for, for sharing uh, your experience, Adrian, because um, I think this is a significant thing that us women that we talk about this um, well, you know, I appreciate you saying that because it took me forever to talk about it. But then once you realize like, what the heck? I didn't do anything wrong. Those guys are creeps. And the longer, I mean, you know, I got like a scar that from getting beat. Like I said, I'm lucky this guy was like my size and I could give as good as I get. And I remember like, I don't know how big it was, like going back to the, take the Eurostar, I lived in London and like, we had, I missed my thing. The woman just was like, Change my, but I remember going out the window and um, because I'll tell you, I was with a group of people, diplomats, son, you know, you get in and I never took off my coat, had my bag strap, my past, all my stuff, go to the toilet, come back, everybody's gone. But me, I'm like, okay, I got to go door locked from the inside. What? Why, why Why did people leave you? You know what? I had something. Yeah, that motherfucker said, we got, we getting it on. We click. She won't, what? Well, I'm sure he just said, because I'm going to rape her. Let me, you know, I'm going to give them that much benefit of the doubt. I, you know, I but don't he's know. Like, we click something. I don't know, but I know. But I'm like, just thank God I had all my stuff. I didn't have to like run around and try to like, I didn't, wasn't even comfortable. I was like, okay, use a bat. Get out, you know, thinking I'm not as far up as I think I am. Mm-hmm. Go to get out, hanging on. I'm like, damn, this is high. Kick it on the window. I can remember the woman underneath, like, open and close. I don't know how many times I'm in and out. Grab my wrist, and, and then he just dropped me. I can remember, like, landing like that in a fetal position. I remember, I'm not for Adam, these Donna Karen. I could probably go get him. Snakeskin boots. Because I can remember that was the only thing that had, like, a little tear. Mm-hmm. I didn't break a fingernail. The guy, the doctor was like, you didn't in France. I can remember they were so cute. I don't know if I was speaking French or English because I could speak a little French, but the police came and I remember thinking the French police are so cute. They had like blue, blue, tucked into like combat boots. So did the guy get arrested? My last thing I remember is they were like, putting me in the ambulance. They were like, you know, what's going on up there? The guy was looking out the window like, I know she's dead. I remember them putting a big ladder up and going up and I was going off and the guy in the ambulance was just big huge guy black guy so gentle and was talking and like stitched me up 
and you know getting the x-rays and the doctor was like you didn't break a bone and I remember the only that's why I say the Donna Karen boots it was the only little tear and I remember some bible verse I can't remember but like I don't know you won't get hurt and I was like yeah I went out four-story window tore my Donna Karen boots and that was it so wait (laughs) okay I know this isn't where we wanted this conversation to go but you're gonna have to go back so he just dropped you off the balcony I was going out the window and because I knew I had to get out the apartment. there was like the door in the window right couldn't get out the door so after and it was like a bad B movie like like he punches you and you go flying against the wall and you're down on the ground and he's getting on top of you and you like kick him like that and he goes like you know it's like all slow motion and you're like what you know and I'm like okay at some point and then I remember seeing some scissors on the t- and I threw the scissors out the window. And I remember thinking, well, he's got a knife. And I was like, I got to get out. And so it didn't, you know, I didn't know how high it was. So I go out and then I'm like, oh shit, I can't just jump, jump, um, jump. So I'm holding on. So he pulls me back in and starts kicking my ass again. Right. So I'm like, kick it, you know, I go out. I can remember this woman like opening and closing. So I don't know if she called the police or what. But I'm like, help, help. I couldn't remember how to say help in French. And so like, people were like, everybody knows what help sounds like. You didn't need to know how to say that in French, you know? So the third time I went out, he just fucking grabbed my wrist and dropped me. So it wasn't like he like threw me out. I was like, hang it. Cause I was like- wow, I But can- wait, you don't know if this man was prosecuted? He tried to kill you? Well, I don't know because I do know. Okay, so in the hospital, you know, all that X-ray, blah blah, blah and they're like, I, f- I can't remember how much francs. Wow. And I was like, I got a visa. They were like, we don't take visa. And I was like, and you know, the French, they were like, and they let me walk out of there. But everybody felt so sorry for me. I look like I got run over by a bus. I'm sure. So that guy had my number because everything was like cool. It wasn't like I just met him and this group of like. It was like a whole fucking day of activities. We had already exchanged numbers. And wow, I, I, I have know just... this guy called me to see if I was dead or alive. Because it was like back then, like this. When is this? Um, um, oh gosh, before internet. Okay, I can't. I have to think of the year. But like you could hear it was like crackling. I was back in London, and I was like, okay, this is an overseas call. And I was like, and then he's like, I'm like, hello. And he, I was like, I know it was him just to see if I was alive to see if he was going to get prosecuted for whatever. Because, but you know, diplomats son from the African country. If it's like the States, but no. Wow. Okay. So I just have to say something for people listening. Community. Something not, not, not as violent, but when, if you're with a group of people and then somebody tells the group like, oh, it's okay. You can go. Don't do it. Wait till you hear from the other person. Like that is a, a lot of people don't realize this. Something like this happened to me not not as as violent but I was at the North Sea Jazz Festival and we went to an after party and there were a whole bunch of people there and for some reason this couple seemed to want to have sex with me and I'm like you know I'm just not normally down for a threesome for a variety of reasons not because I'm a prude I just just not and especially with these people I just wasn't into it no justification needed yeah I just wasn't into it but, but what they did was that they they told my, the friends, because I came to this party with like five people. We had come to the jazz fest together and they said, oh, it, she'll be she's going to stay with us. 
And then they left. And so then I, it was something like that. I went in the bathroom, I came out and then everybody I know is gone. There's only people I don't know. And then this couple, this was their home. And um, I was like, where is, where did everybody go? And they're like, oh, well, they left. And, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm leaving too. And they're like, you don't have to leave. I'm like, yeah, I do. Cause I'm not, you know, and I left and they didn't do anything. Nothing bad happened to me, but I got back to the hotel and I was like, Hey, how come you guys just left me in a hotel, in a, in a house of a strange person, you know, in a straight, in a country we don't live in. <laughs> and they were like, well, everything seemed okay. And I'm like, except for the fact that I didn't say I wanted to stay there. And so people really need to realize you can't just leave women places. You can't let somebody, because that's, that's how predators act. They try to call you from the herd, you know? Um, yeah, and I watched discovery or not discovery, but the nature channel. Yeah. And that's what happened. Classic got cut from the herd. Classic. Called from the herd, and then he was just gonna like you know be a savage. I thought predator. I was gonna roll with it, and you know what? Maybe if that was the first time I was gonna be raped, I would have rolled with it because you're like you know you're like okay. Once you realize what's going on, sometimes you're like okay. If I just close my eyes, let it be over, I can walk out of here. Maybe, but it was gonna be third. Uh, you know, at the third time, I was like, I'm gonna die or I'm leaving here. But he is not raping me. Will it be raping a corpse? That sounds crazy, but. But you know what I mean? It was just like, anyway, I'm lucky this guy was like my size. What if, you know, he wasn't and I just, I'm just lucky he was my size. You're lucky that you were on the fourth floor and not on the eighth floor. Um, Uh, Yeah. And um, Jesus Christ. I'm so lucky he didn't stab me before it got to that point. Lucky for a lot of reasons. Like, and, and you know, like, how can I say lucky? I learned that I'm a fighter. I'm a survivor. Like I say no to fucking being raped, which sounds like, who says yes? But that sounds like crazy to have to say, but I'm like, nobody can touch me that I don't say can touch me. Oh, this me. just makes me so angry. You just, I, I, it just does, you know. But I learned a lot about myself that day, so. I get mad at myself now if I take some BS because I'm like, wait a minute, you went out the fucking F four story window. Why are you gonna take some BS from some woman on some bull white woman on some board who wants to microaggress you? Or some Latino woman that you work with in some organization that's like mm-hmm. in your scalp, like you're the pet. When you're posing for a picture, it's like, why would you let people do these things? You are so you went out of force. Girl, you know who you are. You know, I was like, I can put myself up for that. It's crazy and ridiculous and nobody should ever have to go through that. But that's one thing I have on my side, so. Right. I I think it's incredible um, how much, how strong women are. I don't think we get enough credit for the things that we've been through. I think we don't talk about it enough. I don't think there's enough opportunity to get credit for the things we survive. And um, I'm, I'm... I'm amazed that you can find the positive in that. Um, but this is no, I'm grateful stories. that you guys created this space for me to tell this story because I don't talk about this. Yeah. Talk about this. It's not like anything you want to talk about, but I, I realized too that like I know there's a um I can't remember when it comes up, but there's a, a oh that woman who got the, the court in Italy says she deserved to be raped because she had on jeans or something. And there's this annual day 
that pushes back against that. And once I learned about that, I think two or three years ago, I decided Denim Day is National Denim Day. And I want to say it's in April. But it's because of a court ruling in Italy that's said her this woman's rapist was justified because her jeans were too sexy, basically some BS like that. That I decided that I have to share my story because that's absolutely ridiculous. That a court could blame yeah. a woman for wearing jeans. You know, forget what you're wearing. You could be walking down the street naked. God, I may have a mental illness. I have run out of a burning building. Who knows why I'm walking down the street naked? That doesn't mean I deserve to be raped. Yeah. So ever since that, I was like, I can tell my story because somebody else has the same story and has felt horrible. And they don't need to feel horrible in the world. We didn't do anything wrong. No, no. no. And we, we do need we do need allies to to change this because right now it's single women surviving and fighting and if we want to change we need to look at the structures that keep allowing this to happen um and it's not cool it's not cool in any regards no um, no it's not but you I, know what music is healing angela i don't want to cut you off but just to say like yoga music has has helped because as I said, I couldn't talk to people, but you know, you can have music mm-hmm. and yoga has just been something good for me. So just sharing that as tools has helped for me. I wish, I wish we were close enough together so I could hug you. Yeah. I'm really, I, I'm, I have to say, I am shocked about that story. That is that I'm, yeah. I'm almost, almost tongue-tied. Um, it's so. It's, now, you know, one reason I'm addicted to yoga, I have a horrible back because of that. And yoga, and I had a decent chiropractor, but yoga. Wow. Imagine how bad my back is, but no, yoga is, that's why I say yoga and music saved me, but um, music is very healing. And being, you know, you guys created a safe space for me. I'm so. How are you feeling right now? How does it feel to have shared this? Yeah. I know. I don't know if I feel anything, to be honest. Mm. The sadness, like I sadness, because sometimes when I hear it. When I say this story, I think about it, it's not like it didn't even happen to me. And if I hear it, it's like I feel so bad for whoever it happened to. You know mm. what I mean? Like sometimes I feel like I still have like a little bit of detachment to, to stay sane or not to be angry all the time and not to be violent. Because since then, I have had men who touch my butt or pussy crab you know so it's like everything you can do just not like fucking like you know what I mean just but I have made up my mind that if and you know when it happens in your boyfriend's house you know it's his friend or it's your husband's colleague you know it's always people are effing creepy Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. you know it's it's never some stranger people off the street no I mean it's never some movie like somebody and not to diminish those horrible times that's happened to people like that because people are a victim of violence. But in my experience with sexual harass, uh, sexual violence, 
well, I've been sexually harassed in the workplace too, but sexual, what's it called? Violation. Well, rape is rape, but when people touch you that you don't want. Sexual to assault. Sexual assault, thank you. With my experience, it's always been somebody that I've been introduced to. It's never been some strangers that comes up honk honk. You know, that doesn't happen. Even I can't say one time at Nottingham Carnival. Coming down there, somebody did just pussy grab me, and I was like, that could have been a knife. What? In my stomach. I was like, that could have been a knife in my stomach. But wait, like, how there. is somebody just grabbing you by the Have pussy? you ever been That's a nodding a carnival? I don't know. Do they have carnival in Germany? But mm-hmm. I, and I remember thinking, yeah. I was like, and, and I was like, okay, that could have easily been a knife in my stomach. And my British boyfriend at the time said, yeah, a lot of people do get knife at carnival, like people playing with revenge. Like, that's when they're going to take you out because it's like it's a so normalized. It's so normalized at that well, point. Well, knife, knife violence in the UK is, but you know, like when you're in that crowd and it's like, it's like that James Bond movie when mm. it's in the Louisiana, when it's the guy that's the black guy, that's the dual personality. What's his name? He was um, the detective of homicide. I think uh, anyway, when they, in the James Bond thing where they killed this guy in a um, funeral procession, cause you know, it's all elaborate and it's, it's so just in the crowd. And it was like, I was like, I'm lucky that wasn't a knife in my stomach. But those type of knives in the stomach, I was told a carnival aren't random. Those are planned. Like if they. Wow. Okay. We have a lot of work to do. I. I'm. Yeah. But yeah. So I have had panic attacks in clubs in Sweden or, you know, when guys are like harassing me. And I can remember one of the first times I came here from Brussels. Because my 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 sweet's military and his little cadets like it was an after party for something so we were all dressed up and then we got and they just had a club and I don't know if I was left alone for a while and two guys were like I don't know I don't want to say harassing me but I just had like a panic attack and my my sweet's his cadets saw me and they like circled the guys and like cleared them out of there and they're like we don't know what's going on but we saw you in distress so mm-hmm. like kind of what Angela was saying exactly they were aware and they mm-hmm. knew. They didn't know what was going on, but they were like, she was in distress. So that's, yeah, we can take better care of each other because people won't, they didn't know. They still don't know I'm a rape victim, but they knew I was upset. So people may not tell you their personal drama, but if you're aware, you can tell when someone's in an uncomfortable situation. And uh, we see this now and people are afraid when people are attacked for being Muslim or black or Asian on the street and people know something's going on and they're afraid to say something, if we're just present and say, I see you, I know nobody wants to get in harm's way, but we can take, we can be better guardians. Adrian, if I had a magic wand and it had three wishes left over, what are three things that you would hope mm, would change for any, any woman, any person who has had to be subjected to that type of things? What kind of is there anything that you wish would change structurally? Peace of mind. That's three words, but I mean, I, and that sounds so simplistic, but that's because I don't know what your situation is, but you know your situation. If you can just have peace of mind. As someone who tries to stay on, on topic and on point for, for the things that we have to do, um, there's a trauma conference happening starting tomorrow from the 9th. Um, people like Gabor Mati and Thomas Hulbilam, um, mm. 
we have a lot of healing to do. Um, one of the reasons I love that book by Grata Quilombo is because she's the first person who wrote about trauma. Up until that point, everybody was arguing whether it is racism or not. She, for, she went by that conversation and said, this is the trauma that is associated with racism. And it was intersectional. So as from a black woman's perspective, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. There's so a lot of well, emotion. No, because you know what? And one of the things, you know, cause you know, don't know how smart I am, but you know, you want to think about all that stuff. And then you think about like our history in the States is black women. We've never owned our body. It's all filled with trauma. Like how much trauma, generational trauma am I processing? Do I have to process? So how caught up do I get on this? Two rape attempts, one other third. How much did my grandma, my father's grandmother was a slave. You know, my dad died at 95. It was a World War II bad. His, his grandmother, maternal grandmother was a slave until she was nine. How much in her nine little years, sexual trauma, if any, we have to assume maybe some or her mother. And you know what I mean? So it's like, you don't want to. And that's the other thing. Like, what? You can't feel sorry for yourself. Get caught down. We went through so much more in the past. But yeah. Yeah, but it's not. Trauma has to be processed. You're, it, it's not that other people endured more trauma and your trauma is minor. It's that has the same value. Trauma is trauma. And it doesn't matter, you know, if it was once or 5,000 times or 5,000 years ago, it still has the same value. And you know, Angela, you know, I'm like, always looking at the positive. It's like, I feel like it's like, okay, I get to write my story as, as a heroine. It's like, okay, like, yeah, I decided twice was enough. Third time I'm going out the window. What if this was 18, whatever? I would have died. Would I have been that brave? I'd have been like, I'm going to be one to die now. Like, you know, we read Toni Morris's beloved, like she'd rather kill her. You know, I'm like, so I get to, you know, and I'm like, I am from that. Maybe I would have been like, you know, three times enough or who knows, but I know that day. I wrote the end how that story ended. Mm -hmm. I was not going to be raped. Mm -hmm. Period. Mm -hmm. I changed his plans. I don't know what the heck he thought when he saw me. But I, you know, I got to end to, to change to how that that script ended. So I, I hold on to that. And you know, that was that script. So there's the after story that people don't necessarily see. So that's the part I have to process. But I do own the fact that I saved myself that day. If he didn't drop me, I was going to jump eventually. So he has to live with the fact that he dropped me. Yeah, I doubt he cares. Do no. rapists have feelings? Do rapists have feelings? You know, if they did, they wouldn't do what they do. Um, I, I don't have any. Savannah, did I totally ruin your podcast business? No, no. <laughs> you guys have no idea how how much I'm taking this to heart. Um, one of the best books I've read in the last year was um, Invisible Women um, by Perez. I forget her first name. Angela's a book junkie. She's already looking it up. She's Invisible like, Women. She, it's, a it's a collection of data and she talks about the data bias. And basically, in a nutshell, she's talking about how the narrative of women is consistently uh, ignored 
and we're half the population. So if you're trying to build a society with muting half the population, it's always going to end up with deficits. And um, I'm really moved by your story. I, I, I have my own as well. I'm not going to share it today, but I have my own story in that regard. And um, the first the, I grew up so listening, listening to the poetry of Maya Angelou. And uh, it wasn't until much, much later that I heard her story. And uh, she was a child when that happens, talking about heartbreaking. Yeah. And that this beautiful poet was rendered mute because of the trauma that's there. Um, these are things that need to be heard. Our friends, our brothers, our family, they need to know that so many of us are affected by this, that at some point our voices cannot disappear into the background. And that's what I'm really missing is just this basic respect that Black women can say no or I'm not being heard. And um, it's really it's really quite moving how you many know, of us share this. Well, you know, because another reason I decided like suffering in the silence is like overrated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah oh, for it's sure. It is. It's yeah. overrated and it's not doing Black women any favors. Yeah. Everybody knows the atrocities that we have suffered, suffer, the indignities and microaggressions, straight out aggressions, you know, the... And every benefit of the doubt I've ever given other people, I really hope that's returned to me um, as well at, at, at some point where if I say, you know what, this is enough that we're gonna, we're gonna have a singing circle now, we're gonna have a talking circle now, we're just gonna do something creative where this energy can move um, I really appreciate what you talk, uh, what you said about the intergenerational trauma. Um, we don't think about things this way, but this is very real energy that we inherit from our families. Um, on one hand, my mom was a black woman. On the other hand, my, my dad is, was German. He was a German war child. There is so much pain that needs to be addressed um, before we can move past it. Yes. Well, it is, and that's one thing I learned, you know, because a lot of things, you know, growing up is unspoken and, and you just feel it. And if I look at the difference with families with money, they don't necessarily talk about money or they talk about it in a different way and you learn from behavior. It's the same thing with families that have trauma, intergeneration things. Like if, if there's abuse going on in the home, you don't talk about it, it's normalized. But we have to break that. That's, yeah, it's very important, you know, you have to talk about things that happened to you. And, and I really wanna make sure that every woman who hears this now and in the future, like if somebody rapes you, you didn't do anything wrong. There's no reason for you to feel ashamed. The criminal is the person who perpetrated the rape. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you went to a man's apartment because you thought you might want to have sex with him, once you're the choice is taken away from you, then that person is a criminal. And you're not the person to feel shame. Right. Um, really. But where are the structures? Where are the structures? There's, uh, I got to work at a university um, right before the pandemic. And this was one of the things I got to, to work with um, were, were all the women who were afraid to come forward. They were happy that there was finally a woman that they could talk to. 
um, because the men who were there before me, they were not listening, they were not taking it seriously, they shrugged their shoulders, said, and there's no nuance, go to the police or shut up. Um, so this is not what they said, but effectively that's how they acted. Um, and it was, it was really wonderful for me to not just be able to give her uh, access to therapy, but also him. And there was more than one case that I was um, involved in, but it was really, really gratifying to make sure that young man could go to therapy. And it was devastating for him to realize what he had partaken in, but he realized it. He faced it and he had a lot of uh, reflecting to do, but I'm, I'm confident he will never perpetrate that again because we took the time to offer resources to, to both people involved and not stick our head in the sand um, and actually address it. It's not enough to say the police. That sounds groundbreaking. No, because I know our culture breeds rapists. You know, it's always like no means yes. You know, when she says no, 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 she's just playing hard to get and you know, all that BS, I'm like, I don't know who the heck wrote those freaking rules. Well, we know who wrote those freaking rules from the beginning, right? Some guy, some dude. Um, but yeah, so, so it, it, if your parents are telling you exactly from, I don't know, I didn't raise boys seven. When do they start feeling themselves? You know, that when they, they're born, two? Yeah. <laughs> when, when their hand finds their penis, that is whatever Pretty age much. that is. Diaper yeah. age for sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you're not telling them from the beginning and then they're, they're not seeing it, but you know, women are dehumanized, dehumanized commercially, you know, in nine situations out of 10, right? We're the prostitute, we're the oversexed teenager, you know, or you're like the dopey grandma or, you know, or like prude. Either way, there's criticism, no oh, matter where you stand. Something. Yeah. But, you know, you're look, we're looking at your body somehow. And girls these days have incredible pressure. So guys have that incredible pressure too. But, you know, it can't be a society that says like, oh, he didn't mean it. He was just being a boy. But you know what? When we look at the states, you know, we can have pussy grabbers and whoever else on the Supreme Court. Pussy grabbers in the White House and whoever else on the Supreme Rapist Court. Rapist on the Supreme Court. Rapist. There we go. Probably rapists in the White House, too, if you think about it. Well, we well, know Massa well, Jefferson. Well, we're going to talk about the we whole don't even history. have to go that far. We can just say Donald Trump. He was a rapist. But yeah, but if we want to go back to our founding fathers, we have on the freaking money. Are we ever going to have Trump on the money? Let's hope not. But if we look about if we if we look at the people on the on the U.S. currency, half them fucking excuse me, rapists, potentially, if you're talking about slave owners and, you know, we know what they did and you can't property can't make decisions but society is you know what you talked about savannah is groundbreaking that the victim and the perpetrator both get counseling yeah that is actually really changing norms changing norms i was happy that's not a conversation i was equipped to have but i was really excited to find a specialist the efgg they call it in germany the in institution for gendered uh, reflected violence Mm. Um, and in four sessions, in four sessions, she broke it down for that young man. It was highly impressive. Um, and, you know, nobody is doing well. Obviously, we have the, the trauma to deal with. Um, the last one of the last bias workshops I had, one of the participants, you know, I, I get us all to feel and get in touch with where we're feeling things in our body. And, uh, one young man after the whole uh, workshop, he said, you know what? I learned today that I'm completely numb. 
I don't feel anything. And I was like, okay, well, that's where you're at. And I learn a lot from, from everyone who takes my classes, because that's not where I'm at. I'm full of feelings. (laughs) Um, So to have someone say, wow, Wow. you taught me that I'm just numb. It's like, wow, we, we have a lot of reconnecting to do with ourselves and with each other. And we've got to start relying on communities more to make changes because the big, the people at top, top down change is not realistic. It's got to come from community based um, so that's why your work is so important. So how do you find your these organizations that can benefit from your work? How can they find you? Hmm, well, they can find me online. Um, and word of mouth is really the best. You know, it's really hard to find a good, authentic counselor. But if you say, hey, I worked with Savannah and she hit quite a few nails on the head, that's that's the best there can be. Um, people have recommended me. I love working um, with with artists um the workshops are very popular not just in institutions but uh, a couple of video game makers they're story makers we spend so much time in video game worlds that if they can check their bias and recognize that afrofuturism is not invented by elon musk or something like this you know just to stay sweet in stockholm there's a lot of gaming companies i don't know king and all these places so I maybe have leads for you, but Scandinavia needs you. Yeah, the whole world needs you. In fact, <laughs> we should probably try to do some kind of a, I don't know, seminar, workshop on this. Just your story, Adrian, just makes me realize. No, but Savannah has to get paid. No, well, yeah, of course. Of course we're going to charge for it. Like, come on. You're not going to, this is, this is the only time you're going to get all this wisdom for free. So after, after this time, um, but yeah, I just, it just makes me honestly, both of you, for people who are listening to this, uh, both Savannah and Adrian were a little, little bit crying. I'm not crying. I'm just so angry. Like I can't do this, Savannah. So that's Christ. Yes, I can't make the Vulcan the Vulcan salute. Okay, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's not possible. I don't have the right type of hands to do it. But (laughs) but seriously, people people the violence against women makes me so angry that I I don't even. It's like, I can't cry. I just feel like you ask if you had like three wishes. The first wish that I wish that every man that ever raped a woman, that his dick would fall off. That would be number one. That's how you'd know they were a rapist. And then you could go to the hospitals and pick them up. (laughs) It's not exactly the same thing, but I saw this, this super vegan say, you know how they put down dogs if um, they bite a child? Mm. what did he say we can we put down humans that like eat animals like her animals or something he put like he's like a radical vegan but angela reminded me of that like if we treated rapists like but here's the thing but but you know it's never not been a crime it's never not been a crime from time immemorial it's in the bible it's it's everywhere rape has never not been a crime so everyone knows it's wrong but they just do it anyway yeah. yeah. So we have to stop being so, I mean, the idea to restore people like this young man you are speaking of, that seems like a great idea. 
But if you find that someone can't be restored, then we're going to have to take heart. Honestly, I have never, and I guess we've all just exposed ourselves. So why not me too? Um, that I just think that, <clears throat> that I'm, I'm against the death penalty, but I think for me that men who rape women, like if you've raped 20 women and if you've, you know, it's very rare that you've only raped one, that, it, that somebody catches you on the first one. Like the penalties should be a lot harsher. Hmm. Not, not because we're going to, because you can't have half of the population walking around on eggshells all the time because some man is just there. He's walking. He decides to say something stupid to you. He wants to touch you uh, in the case, in some cases, like drag you in their car or get you behind closed doors. We can't have this. You know, the crazy thing about all of this, Angela, is I feel lucky. Me, me too, by the way. I feel lucky too. Kevin, been a whole lot worse. Yeah. Yeah. And that is so pathetically sad that it's, it's crazy to think that we're the lucky ones in that mm. way. That's crazy. Yeah, but, but we're alive. That's what I that's why I'm lucky. I wasn't like disfigured, disabled, shunned, didn't yep. have a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Shunned when I did tell my my mother and my close friends, um, my husband. Um you guys created this environment where I could talk about it. Um, but that's the crazy thing that we don't, ex I don't, ex I don't, you know what? And I would have never even thought of calling the police. Huh. They saw, they, you know, they went up, they did whatever. But the other two times that it happened, I would not have even thought. And I do have a friend who actually did do the court thing and won and paid the price emotionally. But I'm oh. so proud of her. White woman in Boston. Yeah. that I met when we worked together in Brussels. Um, but she, and I don't know enough about her story, like if she was like, first time I'm doing it, or she was like, this is it. But I know she did it and it was horrible, but she did it and they won. And those the, those odds are low that women win those cases. So not I'm enough evidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To even be brought up, exactly. Not enough evidence. And then how they treat you <sighs> when you're on the stand. So that was like, I'm so proud of her. I don't know if I could have been that strong. But um, yeah, I, so I, yeah, I feel lucky, so. And I, so I think there's a, there's a common thread and I say this not as an excuse, but more to harbor understanding of where we can create change. I think this results in a lot of disconnect. Um, one of my favorite trauma specialists, Gabor Mate, he talks about four different types of disconnect uh, one with ourselves, one with each other, one with nature, and one with our work, that we're not getting fulfilled because we're, we're so used to exploiting each other that our own well-being is put in the back burner. If I have the opportunity to exploit you, make a couple of dollars, right? Yes. The whole capitalism thing doesn't work because we're exploiting nature, and she's finally saying, you know what? I can't sustain this. So you said it ourselves, each other, nature. What was that for? And our work. Our work. I'm taking yeah, that. If, I love Gabor Mate. He's very, 
Very if good. we're not being fulfilled by our work, then we're more prone to addiction, trying to escape, and we are less uh, empathetic towards each other's suffering. So th to nip this in the bud, we've got to create structures and changes where we can reconnect with those things ourselves, with nature. We how can we how can we how can we cut down all the trees? and then expect to have enough oxygen. Like we just are so disconnected towards what we need versus what we're programmed to believe what we want. We need to, we need to heal a lot of those disconnects again in order for this crap to stop. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. And I'm gonna ask something completely unrelated. <laughs> no, cause your name is- I like the twists and turns. <laughs> well, no, cause your name is pronounced Savannah. Like, mm -hmm. um, and we have a good friend that, um, that lives there in Georgia. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful city. It's on my list. Is there any connection with your Savannah, name? Savannah? Savannah, Savannah. Is your mother from the South? No, my dad had a vision in the 70s. And through these visions, he gave me my name. And my brother also has a vision. Um, as, I, as I said, I was born on tour. And they had just finished a, a concert. And the sun was rising. And he had music. He's a composer. <laughs> And uh, the clouds started taking shape, and he saw a C and an A and a V and an A and an N, and he heard Savannah. Wow. Like, ah, if it's a girl, I'll call her Savannah, and if it's a boy, I'll call her Savannah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love Because Savannah, George, is supposed to be a beautiful city. So I just didn't know because you're a beautiful person. Aww. Inside out, so I didn't know if there was a connection, and they, you know, and, and creative with the spelling. But um, your brother is he also musically inclined, academic? He's, he's um, we have a music and dance improvisation company in my family, and my brother is a filmmaker and dancer, and also does intercultural um, education. Yeah, so wow. he's in the band. I sing. He dances. <laughs> Wait a minute. What kind of dance does he do? um he he's got the nickname the groove master so okay. <laughs> is he in germany um half the time he's a modern day nomad so right now he's in new york but a week ago he was here and he'll be back uh all things willing uh bike by, by christmas he'll be back i was gonna say hopefully yeah um because uh, i remember i think we talked early because you know I, I think i told you it was like 10 months i couldn't get home because you know things mm. that were going on with the pandemic and you were like where your brother like I think you got him in under the wire or whatever so he's yeah yeah so he's been able to be more mobile and do his thing so how so okay so when you say family business are you to the family or you got cousins or other people involved um well in the band um in, in the in the company it's me and my brother and my dad plus a couple of other um Instru uh, instrumentalists and dancers, um, two of them you could hear on the tracks, Good Grief and, and Transdimensional, the drummer and the saxophonist, flutist, uh, analog synth guy, um, Johannes and Bernd, those are my musical brothers. They've been with us for over almost 20 years now. Um, was that the question? Did I get Well, yeah, that was because the family, yeah, it's your dad and your brother, because you said family business. Yeah. What's it like to work with your dad? Uh, incredible, really, really incredible. Um, I wasn't always in the band. So <laughs> when I, when I was finally, uh, in the circle, it, it felt really amazing. And I love how much playfulness is valued. 
you know, jazz is a is an elbow kind of music. Everybody wants to prove their own. But uh, working with my dad, he as intense as he is, it's all about playfulness in the end. Did your brother get in the band before you? Um, no, I think I joined 2011 and I think he came 2014. Wow. Yeah. Now you said something about kids. Do you have mm -hmm. any, like, are they musical? I do. My son, he's 24 and, uh, no way. look at you, mm -hmm. you're a 24 year old. Well, thank you, darling. <laughs> that early girl. Okay. I will never, never be tired of hearing that. So, <laughs> Wow. Yeah, he's uh, studying archaeology. He's getting his degree in some ancient stuff. Um, but he's a he's a very talented piano player. And uh, in hip hop, he's known for his hi hats. And uh, I tell him he's inherited the voice of my mom. Um, Where's the hi hat? Literally, uh, the hi hat, like you know, the drums where the cymbals oh. go up and down with each other. That's <laughs> the hi hat. So in hip hop, you have a lot of. Okay. Exactly. And, and as opposed to the boof, boof from the kick drum, right? Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Right. So he's known for his hi-hats. Um, even just these little subtle sounds create a lot of beautiful tension in hip hop. And yeah, he's musically inclined. <laughs> Does he know how to make music, just recording those things? So like when people want that, so he's into that. So because he, he's like born into the business, he's like, my grandfather was like, what? Yeah. Is he I like wish that? I had his talent. Yeah. It's kind of annoying how talented he is. <laughs> He's like, my grandmother was like, what? So yeah, it comes yeah. natural. What about his dad? Is his dad musical? Yes. Yes, he is. Um, maybe maybe Angela knows. Du bist so wunderbar, Berlin. I don't know. That's a, Ooh, it was bought up by a beer company. That's, yeah, that's I know. I know. Is it commercial? I know this <laughs> commercial. Yeah. I don't know what product yeah. it is, but I do know the commercial. Yeah. He wrote it or he sang it? uh both oh. both he wrote he writes and produces oh, wow. music as well so my son had no chance if he if no, he wasn't musically inclined nobody would be so <laughs> it would have been like you would have been like they stole my child at birth where's my <laughs> yeah. so it would have been like um if you ever watched empire the oldest son isn't a musician, but all the other ones are. The oldest one is like an accountant or something, business. And then everyone else in his family, mother, father, brothers, they're creatives. all musicians. Yeah, creatives. Yeah. So, so we're birds of a feather in that regard. Yeah. A lot of art happening at home. Well, you know awesome. what? I feel like, woo, I feel cleansed. I'm ready oh, to go get off this thing. It's like I had a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Adrian. Ooh, and you know what? Because we were supposed to do this um, a couple days ago and I was literally physically sick. So maybe this is the, the second part of my cleansing oh. that I needed for this week. That's how I'm going to look at it because it doesn't happen often. This is, I'm, I can't believe Angela didn't know. So, mm. woo. So thank you, Savannah, for sharing your thank life. You, yes. You see thank why you I love her, Angela? I was like, we got to have her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes. Thank you guys so much for having me. I, I love the conversation that happened today. Better organic. than anything you can try to compose. <laughs> we improvise and look what we ended up with a masterpiece. <laughs>
like but I'm not going to be jealous that you guys are in the same country because I know you're in a big country. So it's not like you're going to. Yeah, see we're not right around. next door to each other. But <laughs> <laughs> I, it would I would have to take like a five hour train ride to be anywhere near her. So don't worry. <laughs> but I will do want to say. But Savannah, I do want to say my goddaughter lives in Berlin. After all this madness is over and it's free oh. to travel and I, I get to see her again. Um, and Angela knows I'm going to come see her. We'll definitely make plans that we can all be together in Berlin be and amazing. make some magic. That would be wonderful. Uh, I got a hug waiting for you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> happy holiday. I shouldn't say happy holidays. Cut that part out, Angela, because I don't want to date it. We don't know when this will be out. Oh, but yeah. Happy holidays. <laughs> I know because Anne's is a tech wizard. I'm like, she can go back to the minute. <laughs> well, who cares? If you hear this, we recorded during the holidays, but happy holidays. Holidays happen all year. We always want love and good vibes for our guests and our listeners. And me and Angela want that for each other. So yeah. heck, happy holidays. Yeah. Happy holidays, everyone. Um, happy holidays. Yeah. We're going to close out with uh, another. Santa, if you're looking, I need a new ring light that works. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to have to buy you a light for real. Like, you're. <laughs> but um, if you're yeah, going to close this, out. Yeah, with... you can't you can't see this if you're if you're listening, of course. But intermittently throughout this whole thing, um, Adrian's ring light has been flicking on and off like. <laughs> So she's bright and then she's in the sitting in the dark and then she's bright and it's sitting in the dark. So yeah. yeah. But we're going to close out with another original. What's it called? Tell us. Good uh, grief. Trans no, it's not good grief. It's trans. No, it's transdimensional. Because we started with good grief. So now we're going, oh, you know what? See, because we were trying to figure out which one to start with. So trans, I feel like, I, yeah, I'm transdimensional something after what we went through <laughs> so this is perfect yeah oh my this gosh. song this song was meant to be yeah <laughs> yeah thank it, you it's again. the moment so um thanks everybody for hanging in there and listening to us and um we're gonna have savannah's link to um like if you want to book her for the ally workshop right and, and how to get your music and your youtube channel yeah and to yeah. Angela's, like, if you want to enter a contest to get one of Ange Angela Bakes, like, okay, this is going to be too late. But well, it's not too late because it's always next year. Christmas that's true. will all, hopefully, Christmas will always come. Because Angela bakes like a thousand Christmas cookies. I bake like 4,000 Christmas cookies. <laughs> See, I thought I was exaggerating. No. Okay, so, okay, so I don't feel bad for saying it. Okay, so, okay, good. Next year, we're going to figure out how somebody, because I haven't tasted nearly a, nearly a one. We're going to figure out how somebody, one of our listeners can get a batch of Angela's. Yeah, we can raffle one off or something in um, next next year. And then I can send, I've done that before, uh, in, give, given away my cookies as a prize for something. And See, that sounded, you know. ooh, ooh, but I saw, uh, um, she's giving away her cookie, Savannah, but I saw like. Um, that on, doesn't sound crazy. good. <laughs> But I saw literal cookies, you know, I mean, like big, but I saw like when she put it on Facebook, like a hundred people were like, I love her cookies. Oh, I can't wait. And I'm like, wow. And I haven't had her. I haven't tasted it. And I gave you a recipe. Yeah. And everyone liked it. So thanks. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. 
But you know what? The reason that you didn't get any cookies, and it's the same reason you're not going to get any. I'm not because I'll be in the states. Because you'll be in the states, and and if I send you cookies to the states, who knows when they'll get? No, give Savannah my cookies this year, and then Savannah, that's something else we can talk about. Seriously, because, um, <laughs> how good my cookies are, and how everyone gets them, but you. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I'm salty. I saw this is about come on, pour some more salt on me. I'm salty, so yeah. Oh my God, you know what? You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna send the cookies because um, your husband is coming later than you. No, you know what? He'll be there. And you know what? You know, I'm I'm not gonna let him come. We decided mommy doesn't know, so good. She'll hear this later. With Omicron, and we figured out he hadn't had a Christmas with his mother in three years between he was with my family and then COVID. You know, and trying to be safe, his mother wasn't vaccinated. So he's staying here and I may get trapped. And he's like, he's got to go back to work. You know what I mean? We've been thinking, I'm like, can't tell mommy till I get there, but I don't think. So yes, please send it. I'll give you, you have my address, send it here. Oh, well, if you, so he, so he can eat them. <laughs> Again, you're not getting them. If I, trust me, I don't want to brag, but my cookies are really good and they won't just sit like, in a container. But can you put them in the freezer? Can you send them in a freezer Ziploc bag with the instructions just put in the freezer, Jonas, for fuck's sake, you know? And it's just like. <laughs> with with those words, exactly. Put in the freezer, Jonas, for fuck's sake. No, but say that in German. Because he speaks German. He loves, he's proud that that was his second language. So put something funny in German. Put the whole instructions in German. Yeah, good appetite. Um, <laughs> That I'll put on there. Anyway, we're trying to close out, ladies. So, yes, <laughs> sorry to be a bummer. Um, yeah, we all, I don't know if I can do that with my hands either. <laughs> oh, oh my God, really? Everyone can do this with me. I'm, you know what? Um, I have a picture with um, Angela. <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh my God. I can't do, look, look at my hands. Do you think, look, I can't spread my fingers. And your hands make love. They make thousands of cookies. Yeah. You edit. Yeah, I know. They feed a family. That's right. I just can't, I just can't make a Vulcan salute. So. That's okay. Because you probably do the death thing. So we work in a team. So. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's been, this has been a Savannah, thank you. Rev revelatory and interesting conversation, Savannah. And thank you, Adrian. Thank you both um, for sharing. And uh, love is palpable here. So thank you for that as well. Thank you. This isn't a one-off. This can't be the only time we talk to Savannah. So. Yeah, of course. No, You're no, always no welcome story. to come back. You're always welcome to come back. But yeah, no, when, you, when you're dropping new music or just a new course or anything you want to do, you know, but this can't just be one of I mean, I had a break. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll see you next time, everyone. And uh, ciao. Hey, Dove. Start to pop